Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Desi VC podcast. This is your host Akash Bhatt and each week we bring you leading investors and venture capitalists investing in tech startups in India. Well, this week is going to be a little different. We have a bonus episode for you. So, as many of you may know, we hosted the Desi VC summit about a month ago and all of you have been requesting for some of the recordings because you weren't able to attend it. So, what we've decided to do is we will be putting out the videos on YouTube and on our podcast so that you may catch all of the action that you might have missed. So the first of the panels that will be converted into an audio is the keynote that we had on day 2 building a mature VC ecosystem with Chris Gopalakrishnan chairman at Axelor Ventures, Prashant Prakash, partner at Axel, Avnish Bajaj, founder and managing director at Matrix Partners India and Subarao was the managing director at New Ventures. Well the startup ecosystem in India remains robust and is rapidly growing. The Indian government has introduced several regulatory programs to boost the Indian startup ecosystem. Flagship programs such as Startup India, Digital India and the Alternate Investment Policy Advisory Committee continue to improve the economic landscape for startups and investors. Now, however, despite all of this, India still continues to remain in the shadows of Silicon Valley. So on this panel we had a discussion on what it would take for India to break away from the shadows of the west and evolve into a mature VC ecosystem in the coming years. So without further ado let's listen to the stalwarts of the industry and what they have to say on this particular issue. Good morning Chris uh, Prashant and Avnish um uh warm welcome for the panel discussion i think we have a great panel uh you guys have uh, built companies uh made some uh, very uh successful investments and have been in the ecosystem for a very long time so i think it's going to be a very interesting discussion so let me start with uh, uh the state of the business models that you guys are uh looking uh and uh India has seen a leapfrogging of technologies i think the the digital revolution is very evident and there is also a significant e-commerce penetration so sitting now at this juncture where do you see prashant business models emerging that look very interesting for you to invest in both business models that address indian market or business models that are looking at the broader global markets thank you subha uh, it's a pleasure to be here on this panel uh, so uh, i think a lot has changed in the last one decade and uh, the interesting trends are that we have gone from just the copycat model for the x to y models which was the first generation uh, between uh, maybe 2006 to 2010 2012 and from 2012 we are starting to see a more broad basing of the opportunity on the consumer side and the b2b opportunity within india that did not exist that is uh, starting to take shape and the more imp- importantly uh, you know indian entrepreneurs building for the rest of the world just did not exist Uh, 10 years ago so this is uh, starting to happen initially in the enterprise space 
uh, we have now a significant portion of young entrepreneurs who are coming saying, you know what, the India consumer opportunity is great, but the global opportunity is even larger and I'm going to go after that. So that's a more recent trend and we are starting to see some good role models there uh, like Fleshworks uh, and so on. So uh, we'll um, hopefully see uh, this whole uh, shift of great companies only starting from the valley. I'm hoping in the next decade, we will see that kind of shift uh, and get more democratized where you will see a good 20, 30% of the uh, best enterprise tech companies start from somewhere in India, Bangalore, Chennai, wherever. And finally, the uh, shift in the uh, consumer uh, space from the top metros to the next two, 300, 400 million uh, customers. That is starting to throw up some very interesting opportunities. Uh, the whole FMCG space is getting disrupted. Uh, the um, uh, extended enterprise, Kirana Tech, multiple B2B spaces within India, both for building efficiency, aggregation, uh, and reaching out to new consumers. So both in the B2B side and B2C side, the next uh, set of opportunities in India seem uh, you know very interesting and even sometimes larger than uh, what we initially thought it would be and largely driven like you said by data and mobile tech yeah that's that's uh, very uh, interesting and avinish, avinish do you have anything to add to that i know you guys have done uh, d2c uh, models uh, do you see any other emerging trends yeah thank you Subha. and great great to be here so i think building on what uh, prashant just said the other thing we should realize is that so there is this whole thing that Flipkart and Amazon, the big horizontals are one one commerce, right? That was likely true until about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, three trends. So one is this tier two, tier three, tier four level of penetration of the internet. Second is video, uh, and third is I would say <clears throat> Gen Z, the new generation that is coming that is going to be spending, and these they have grown up very differently from us. Sometimes I have to remind my kids that there used to be a pay telephone uh, that, that we used to use, right? Like a physical telephone. I think these are me mega trends. So there is this new terminology starting, which hopefully we'll hear more of called NANF, non-Amazon, non-Flipkart. So <laughs> you build NANF businesses. And yes, we have invested in a bunch of B2C businesses. So I think that's one big trend. Uh, on top of video, I think you can also build more interactive commerce. We are all used to shopping in bazaars, right? And in China, you have seen Pinduoduo, which is doing a little bit of group buying, gamification, but also a lot of video-based selling. So I think you will see the TikTok of commerce also coming uh, sometime. And this is not places where Amazon, the horizontals are set up to win. The horizontals are set up to win intent commerce, where you go with an intent and you search. Uh, I think there can be a lot of impulse commerce, uh, which can be done through this conversational uh, kind of medium. So I think there is there's a lot of opportunity. And like Prashant said, the right to win for the FMCG companies used to be that they have the best distribution. They have the they, they used to have this feet on the street sales force that used to get to that Panwala, Bidiwala, every every place in India, right? With the internet, that's no longer a right to win. And I think that's the that so there's a bunch of all of these trends coming together, which is pretty exciting. 
So, Chris, you have done uh, investments uh, both in technology, in the uh, for-profit uh, side, as well as you have funded and supported uh, uh, some very uh, interesting technological uh, work in the laboratories. So, where do you see innovation and uh, fundamental technology progress happening in India? Um, so, first of all, uh, thank you for uh, inviting me to be on this panel. Uh, I firmly believe that uh, you know this uh, COVID crisis has accelerated the shift to digital, accelerated the focus on healthcare and health tech, uh, the focus on uh, uh, cures, uh, antimicrobial resistance kind of things, uh, looking at uh, biology and technology intersection, uh, has a broad focus on uh, diagnostics. Uh, so these are you know, uh, opportunities I see where India can contribute uh, positively to uh, the rest of the world. Uh, I believe that uh, uh, when you see a innovation coming from a developed market, uh, it addresses the issues that are relevant to the top 10% of the world's population. When an innovation comes out of India, it addresses the bottom 90% of the global market. Even if you look at uh, the two vaccines that came out first, uh, they were expensive. They were not logistically uh, possible uh, in a country like India because of the requirement for refrigeration and things like that. Mm. And then you look at the vaccines that are coming out from, uh, let's say, a place like India, right? Uh, less stringent requirements on refrigeration. Uh, it's much cheaper. So when I look at uh, you know the lab to market uh, in uh, India, I think the need is uh, because we want to serve uh, you know the the all people in the world, you know the entire world's population, not just the top ten percent. Second, it brings very unique perspectives from India. Uh, for example, the genetic makeup of uh, Indian population uh, is clearly different from the genetic makeup from uh, a developed country, from uh, Anglo-Saxon descent and things like that. So there are significant opportunities in these areas. Uh, so that's the healthcare side. Then when you look at, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you look at even uh, B2C, uh, the affordability that, uh, uh, a, a country like India uh, brings into the equation is very different. Uh, so when I look at financial inclusion and the fintech companies that have come out, uh, innovations that originated from India can actually now uh, go to the rest of the world. So we have actually supported a couple of uh, uh, experiments on taking unique ID uh, to Philippines, to uh, Morocco, uh, these are projects that are supported by World Bank, uh, some of the philanthropic organizations, etc. So there are lots of interesting stuff happening from the lab to market. Uh, so, and 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 as as we look at all these changes, Chris, you know, you have built uh, a very 
global model in technology uh, at Infosys, and you have seen real scale, global scale. How do you see the ambition and the vision of founders changing? Do you see do you see a founder in 2021 different from the founders in say 2010? Clearly, uh, I think the confidence is increasing. The ambitions are becoming bigger and global. They are fearless. Uh, they believe they can uh, conquer the world. And and you know, NASCOM recently put out a report which said the number of unicorns will be 50 at the end of 2021, which is another 15 from last year. So we are actually on the right path. Uh, I also saw one um, survey which said that the fastest growing ecosystem in the world, tech ecosystem in the world, is Bangalore. Wow, very interesting. And do you see that as in your practice, Avnish, uh, what, what Chris is saying about founders? And, and how, do you, how do you really benefit from that? And, and is that, is that, does it pose challenges to you or, you know, given the stage of our ecosystem? No, uh, Subha, it's actually super exciting. But just on a lighter note, you know, I think uh, founders were always fearless, but they were also reckless earlier. <laughs> fearless without the market actually being there, right? And they wanted to do all these things. Now the market is there. So the you know you know I was a founder in 2000. Every five years the founder quality goes to the next level. And now they are building like Chris did. They are building not to sell. They are building to take companies public. I was in two board meetings yesterday where there was a discussion of IPO. It is just so gratifying. It is so gratifying to see that that come together. Uh, is there a challenge? Not really. I think if a, if the end state becomes IPO super, then it's obviously you want to exit, right? So at, at some stage, but we are all long-term investors, seven, eight, ten years. And I think if the IPO market uh, starts building, we'll get our chances to exit in multiple ways. So mm -hmm. I would actually say the the last piece of the ecosystem that needed to come together was this sense of what Prashant said, building global products, building companies for scale, building not to sell, but to go public. And all of that is in place right now. So pretty exciting decade coming up in my view. So what I meant by challenges was, does the time, uh, are you in sync on the time horizon that a founder sees to build the company and your own uh, you know, fund and the way it is structured? May not be, may not be, right? Sometimes, which is what I was saying. So let's say the founder doesn't want to sell and that's, it's going to take 12 years for the companies to go public and we may have our fund life issues along the way. But what I was trying to say is that the market is liquid enough that we can sell our stock to somebody else who's going to then hold till, till the IPO. So as long as the company, as long as the real business is being built towards an IPO type of exit, we'll get our chances. So, so I think, Timing may not align, but the but the strategy that we should be building to go public is absolutely aligned. Uh, and along the way, we'll figure out our exits and stuff. So it's actually that's been the other big the secondary market for exits in India is now very healthy. Uh, yeah. And it is a big change. So I think the next point I have taking off from where you uh, where you left Avdesh about exits, you know, historically. Uh, the number of exits that have happened in the venture capital markets in India have been on the lower side. And it's one of the weak points of uh, the ecosystem. Has this been changing? I know Prashant, your fund has done some stellar exits of very large scale. 
do you really see the optionality increasing for you guys if, when you look at exits uh, and and for let's say uh, ipos uh, you know the bombay stock exchange does not represent the kind of investments that you are actually have made and are making so where do you see exits and the optionality of exits prashant yeah so i think avinish uh, address some of these i'll try to what avinish spoke about uh, very interestingly you know ecosystems take about uh, 15 17 18 years to mature and this uh, was what happened in the us when the venture ecosystem started in the late 70s uh, so it, it was almost up to the i mean it was in the 90s that the whole uh, ipo uh, uh, as a as a path to exit was figured out by the next generation of startups in the us so similarly i think uh, like we spoke it was only 2010 when entrepreneurs were able to really understand scale understand uh, um, how to really build teams second level leadership for this kind of humongous uh, scale that was required right so that uh, it is just a, a natural uh, cycle of uh, ecosystem maturing for companies to build scale but the problem was like avinish mentioned i think there was a little bit of recklessness while building scale and uh, that was showing through in uh, them there not beyond uh, you know it's very funny that actually something like covid had to happen to reset that recklessness in india so it i mean so uh, it's a very funny uh, point that if not for covid we might have taken another 10 years to really get Uh, these companies to realize the value or there there would have been some big meltdown or some such other thing where investors just get fed up of uh, these companies not uh, you know uh, managing their cash or getting to the right bottom line uh, which uh, uh, is what every business has to at some point in time so uh, th- so given that that has happened so bas companies are going to throw up humongous amount of profit uh, profits in the next one to two years and uh, uh, investors are starting to uh, get all kinds of inbounds uh, now uh, from global uh, pe players and global investors who had hitherto not really looked at india because they did not understand the the profile of how these companies were building themselves in terms of uh, and like i mean just to address uh, chris's point a bit so india uh, is a very tough market when it comes to you know making profitability work right so um, the affordability levels are very different you have to engineer your cost models to really eke out those bottom lines and eke out those contribution margins in extremely difficult tough circumstances and environments here uh, that said uh you know uh, it uh, th- these entrepreneurs like uh, we have been speaking i think are smart right so they they i think uh, in a very timely fashion realized that uh, they need to reset some of these and we are starting to see like avnish said uh, amazing results in uh, uh, how they are um, you know kind of preparing themselves uh, for uh, growth but profitable growth and um, you know this this would uh, throw up multiple options of course ipos would happen like avni said but also 
participation, broader participation in the India market. So my belief is that 50 to 100 billion dollars is waiting on the sidelines to come into India. Because there are very few options globally. And this can uh, really fire, fire up the ecosystem like what happened in China in the late 90s and early 2000s, 100 to 300 billion, close to half a trillion moved into China. And that's what created that 10x inflection for China. And, uh, you know, if you had to kind of take some cues from that, uh, you know, hopefully we are in for a, a, a good run here for uh, um, these uh, good, well-run, profitable and scale companies. Uh, even, if they're, even if they don't go IPO, I think there'll be a lot more options for liquidity. So, so, just, so just a bit more. Sorry, Chris. If I add very quickly, see, you need a, uh, a a example. You need a success story, right? The minute you get a couple of big IPOs from these unicorns, I think there will be a slew of uh, yeah. you know, startups lining up for IPO. I think you just need uh, one or two to succeed. Sorry, so, go ahead. On the on the IPO uh, matter itself, I wanted to understand and pause a bit on this matter because, as it stands, do you do you see uh, any regulatory gaps that are not enabling IPOs happen in India? I know there was a talk about IPOs happening in IPOs of Indian fund PC funded companies happening in Singapore and potentially on Nasdaq. Would they happen on Bombay Stock Exchange and NSE? Well, the startups, the startups have now uh, choice, right? They can uh, IPO in India or they can IPO outside the country. Uh, for me, IPO in India is very important because we need to see the broader public benefit from the startup phenomenon that is happening. You need public, uh, you know, uh, make money on these startups. You know, why are IT services companies so uh, so, uh, you know, uh, darling of uh, investors, because large number of investors have made huge amounts of money on the back of these IT services companies, all of them, right? They keep growing, the industry keeps growing, and it's a positive spiral. So some of the successful startups must actually go for IPO. Then the support for uh, this whole phenomenon will increase tremendously and there'll be pressure on government to be even more supportive of the startup ecosystem and you are saying the regulatory framework is falling in place yes uh, you see uh, an ipo is always difficult even in the us you can see that uh, you know uh, the tech companies have engineered a lot of uh, innovations before going IPO, right? Keeping all the voting stock to the founders or now the new thing is about uh, SPACs and things like that. So they have tried various innovative ways in which uh, they can do these IPOs, keep their uh, voting uh, intact and things like that. Such innovations are not yet there in India, uh, but uh, it's not very difficult to do an IPO in India. We just need to make sure that uh, uh, you have a uh, good governance mechanism. You have this good visibility into the next two years' uh, uh, revenues, and then you can think about uh, an IPO. 
So, so Subha, I would I would like to add a you know so there are two categories and <clears throat> I couldn't agree more with Chris on creating uh, local IPO brands, right? And if you talk to some of the founders, they they are very keen to actually list in India. But to your point on regulatory framework, there is one framework that has been announced but not implemented yet, which is overseas listing without. So it's unclear whether that will finally be notified as Indian companies can list overseas without a dual listing in India. Will it need to be simultaneous dual listing, which means it's basically a non-regulation and doesn't help? Will, will they have a period of time and maybe up to three years? So I'll tell you the because this is a new asset class in India, the and because we want the retail investors and everybody to actually make money, India rewards profits more. So the and to Prashant's point, I want to re-emphasize people, I don't think realize how much, you know, there's a lot of talk about digital tailwinds where growth has accelerated for certain businesses. In places where growth has, has not accelerated by one or two years, profits may have accelerated by two to three years because the business has been re-architected. And that's a very big deal. Because in India, you have to be profitable, give or take, to go public and get a get a good response. So I think there is a set of investors and companies which will be profit first that will prefer to list in India. And those founders are also very nationalistic or patriotic. And they are some of them are household names and they want to list in India and they want retail participation. And then there is a set that would benefit from a regulatory change which allows them to list directly in the US. Without a dual listing where growth is more, more valued. And that will just create a more liquid market to, you know, if you have to become like China, like Prashant said, they have all kinds of options. They can list in Hong Kong, which a bunch of them do. They had a NASDAQ equivalent exchange called GEM, which was set up in Shanghai. They can list on NASDAQ itself. They can list. So we need that kind of flexibility to come in. And that requires a little bit of regulatory help. Prashant, do you want to add anything on that? Uh, no, there is, uh, you know, there, to really make this overseas listings work, uh, there are some complicated tax issues that also need to be sorted out. So it may take a little bit uh, of work, working through. And I think a lot of uh, people from the industry are, because I, I think enabling it is not the issue. Uh, handling some of these tax issues for global, for direct listing in the US is. So domestic listing is much more, uh, much closer. Uh, yeah. And uh, one interesting trend, Subha, uh, uh, if you have a path to profitability, and you're able to demonstrate that, even that seems to be starting to be enough in India, mm. uh, which is very different from what was there. And these are early signs, but of course there are also structures where you can um, build your books uh, in a for an unprofitable company today, which is on the path and still get good market reception. So uh, you see some of that test, there were one or two uh, companies like that, that went public and did well. Uh, so let's see. Uh, okay. But you want to be careful about the IPO market, Subha. So you, yeah. uh, like anything in India, it seems to, it'll, it'll get over uh, overdone. You know, what you don't yeah. want is a whole bunch of these companies going very early without, like Chris was saying, the right governance and the right visibility for predictable uh, results. Uh, and kind of mess up the whole market and you'll lose another three, four years after that. 
because uh, um, you know the private investors will will just think that these companies are just not uh, like the traditional IPO companies and you know blah blah right. So, I think they so, will yeah, just understand these. There's a lot of capital and there's a lot of depth even in the public market. So I guess they will get it eventually. So moving on, uh, I would like uh, all of you to uh, um, address the uh, point that I have. Do you, from from where you are, do you see any gaps in the ecosystem? You know, for example, I I I may I have been an investor and I have I continue to make small investments. I get the sense that uh, the Indian venture capital ecosystem for a while suffered from. Um, black spots, uh, no man lands, if you will, where uh, companies would struggle to raise the next round of capital. So do you do you see anything that is strikingly um, evident to you, which is which you can call as a gap or a or a weakness in the ecosystem, be it talent availability or uh, functional expertise or uh, in well-oiled missionary that helps a growing company not lose momentum you know i don't know what you see but if we can identify uh, two or three of them maybe we can spend some time talking about them avinash you want to go first avinash sorry okay sure so look a lot of the things suba you mentioned i think are gradually falling into place for three four five years ago one would have said a talent gap that's kind of fixed lot of great talent has come back to India. Um, I would say if I were to say, let's contrast, we have spoken about IPO, that's coming. Uh, funding gaps, I don't see. I, I see that, I, you know, there's a little bit of a self-selection issue. I think if it's a good company, there's plenty of capital available, right? Maybe, maybe in a deeper market for Series B, Series C, some companies may get more shots at the goal where here, it may be a little bit more brutal in that stage. There's enough money at C, there's enough money at Series A. Uh, I think there's enough money at Series C, D, E uh, plus for good companies. Uh, but it does tend to concentrate a bit. So maybe a little bit of gap, but I think that's normal for a market. If I were to benchmark to the best of the breed in the valley, I would say our companies don't yet have those kind of governance structures uh, and governance structure is maybe the wrong way to uh, phrase it. But that ecosystem, board members, independent board members, adding you know a lot of uh, heft to a company's uh, execution or thinking, uh, or building by the founders themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I think all building, like we have, our founders have tended to, now this is changing, but if you were to pin me down to say, what is the gap? Uh, our founders have run it like a little bit like a dhanda, Indian promoter style dhanda, yeah. not, not the way maybe Chris and all built Infosys, which was from day one built to scale, right? So, so it's been a dhanda and that mentality to transition from that dhanda into hiring people who you will have to pay 80 lakhs, 1 crore, 1 and a half, 2 crores has taken time. And it's still early days, but I see that as a gap to be able to attract, retain, groom, leadership, talent. Uh, is probably one gap. Second, I would say net-net, top-down, government-wise, this whole digital India, I mean, we probably have one of the best soft infrastructure in the world, right, with that Jandhan, Aadhaar, mobile, all the stuff Mr. Nilakani did. 
<coughs> so I think there's a lot of good soft infrastructure and great intent. Sometimes the it doesn't translate into actual policy, and you know, so major type of policies. It's unclear whether fintechs are a good thing or a bad thing right now uh, in in some of the narrative. So I think that that consistency of regulatory policy and clarity is important because like it can it is very clear the intent is there, right? So I would I would identify this regulatory uh, clarity and consistency and or building on the side of the farmers. So, so, so let, yeah, let sorry. me go on. Go on yeah. Yeah, let me uh, add uh, to what Avinish uh, talked about. Uh, to me, uh, we need more Indian money, Indian capital coming into later stages. Uh, right now. Uh, 80 to 90% of the funding in later stages uh, is coming from outside the country. And what happens if, if we continue this way is that some of our best startups are going to uh, be uh, shifting their registered office to outside the country, flipping the company. Right. And in many cases, the founders are also becoming non-resident Indians. Uh, you know, I feel that uh, this has to be addressed both from, uh, you know, bringing in more Indian capital uh, as well as uh, looking at, uh, you know, why is this happening? Why is this shift of these companies to outside the country happening? Uh, there are issues related to concerns about IP ownership, where the IP should be registered. There are issues related to capital gains taxes, there are issues related to, you know, um, uh, how uh, income taxes are uh, computed for investors and things like that. I think these need to be addressed as quickly as possible uh, so that we have more of these um, companies uh, uh, continuing their operation, continuing their uh, registered office to be in India. Second, we need to see long, more lab to market uh, uh, success stories. We have very, very few, or probably none actually at this point, uh, to truly become a knowledge-driven economy, an innovation-driven economy. Ideally, these innovations must come from our academic and research institutions. There are some examples in pharma. There are some examples in uh, biotech, uh, maybe a couple of examples, but they have not scaled up uh, in deep tech, etc we need to see some significant success stories uh, from lab to market, which also means we need to increase our funding of research from private sector. Private sector investment into research is you know, negligent today. Uh, it's about 0.1% of GDP. Uh, I would like to see it to go, I would like to see it go to 1.5% of GDP. So that means you know, significant increase in private sector investment and research. These are the two things I would uh, submit as things that need to change. Yeah, very interesting. Prashant, you were, you were saying something? No, no, no. I think uh, lastly, you know, as a third speaker, I think yeah. I, I, had, I had one thought uh, when it comes to the gaps would do you guys think that having a well um, established say secondaries purchaser would that help uh, the 
the exits at the tail that's happening subha like even amish mentioned i think there's enough of a secondary demand now and that naturally happens once uh, you know there's an overall uh, appetite for uh, companies that there'll be enough of these secondary funds that will come in um, maybe just one they are they already there or they already there there are already options there uh, maybe there'll be more that will be welcome i mean that's good if we had a few more but there's there's enough options i think on the leadership front while there's good leadership coming in i think just the number of companies that need to be set up in uh, these uh, you know pan india in uh, interland tier 2 tier 3 cities and you know the complexity of running businesses there i've seen some of the leaders struggle uh, it's it's just not you know for somebody growing up in a metro just to understand the dynamics of uh, a company that uh, is is not uh, that way homogeneous in metros and has pan india uh, you know the complexities are very large so uh, you know you will need very one or two cycles of leadership uh, uh, like some of the fmcg folks uh, are probably familiar with uh, with doing that but now uh, a lot of these brands are even pushing even deeper than even what the fmcg companies are post in terms of uh, penetration and depth so you will um, uh, definitely see uh, the need for um, you know better uh, you know and what what you'd call as n minus 1 and senior leadership because there's another challenge in india i think there's a lot of gaming of various things that happens uh, within the companies uh, whether it's sales people or whether it is uh, uh you know uh, other kinds of checks and balances that are constantly challenged uh you know maybe are very ingenious in that way uh, in trying to break the system so you you need uh, this goes a little bit back to the governance challenge that uh, anish was talking about you need to be one step ahead of that and today our entrepreneurs are a bit naive they don't think that the uh, uh uh the the system around them uh, is uh, uh is is uh, needs to be managed and, uh, uh, and and if if you are an ipo company and if some of these things happen you will be hit very hard right so uh, and uh, we we see this constantly come up in our companies so so there's a little bit of uh, uh, that maturity that needs to happen in the senior leadership in ability to handle um some of these inherent uh, uh you know systemic uh, things within our organization yeah uh, so let's let's move on to uh, the the last uh, topic i have teed up which is about uh, exits um not not from the options of exits but more in terms of the returns on exits and valuations uh, because the again historically indian markets have always been expensive uh, both in the public markets and in the venture space uh, do you see that as a challenge and uh, is that uh, is that uh, addressed now because you have much larger deal flow and have a much larger depth in the market where do you see valuations versus returns Prashant, you want to go? Uh, yeah, so I think uh, what people are valuing in India is growth, right? So we are 
the only economy that can potentially uh, grow 10 plus percent, maybe as much as even for the next four, five, six years, or maybe a decade. Um, so that factored in, I think, uh, um, you know, even in IPOs, uh, in many cases, uh, you will find it more profit, I mean, uh, more attractive for some of our companies to go IPO in India than even globally um, because of how, uh, you know, these, these valuations will work in India. So I I think there will be, you know, some readjustments uh, here and there, but I uh, believe that this uh, healthy uh, multiples that are there in India will sustain as far as we can quickly get back post-COVID to the uh, 8 to 10% kind of growth. So you don't see valuations as a uh, as a as a constraint for your return no. expectations. No, no. I think uh, uh, there is um, uh, enough headroom there. So in, in a lot of these spaces. Well, I mean, would that be the case even if you you are also an early stage investor? I, I guess it won't be an issue for you. But would, do you think it's an issue for slightly later stage investors? It used to be, uh, and and you know they used to when they used to compare us to China, they used to say so much deeper market, so on and so forth. Ultimately, Subha, it comes down to capital efficiency, and yeah. I could argue that yes, China may be much deeper, and therefore on multiple basis valuations are looking lower, but it's hyper competitive. India is also competitive, but China is hyper competitive. Tons of capital coming in, and so these companies are then competing with each other. Here, it may look higher, but hopefully the category leader wins. Uh, you know, if you look at food delivery, we have two players left. In China, the ranking keeps changing, right? Then who's winning keeps changing. So, but I'll tell you, it used to be a problem. I, I don't worry about valuations anymore, like Prashant said. And obviously, their valuations are always a problem when you're buying, but they are great when you're selling, right? So you don't get, you, you can't have one and not have the other. So, um, I'll tell you how our thinking has changed. We used to, five, six years ago, I'm sure uh, Axel used to think similarly. We used to feel that if a company becomes a unicorn, it's going to be a very big deal. Right? So we used to have to underwrite investments saying 300 to 500 million ka exit. If it happens, it's great. Right? Then three, four years ago, obviously Flipkart was a big uh, breakaway success. But one started feeling that companies can more, more and more unicorns were happening and it's like, okay, one, two billion is possible. Today, one can underwrite five to 10 billion. So one can actually say that good companies will get to become, you know, show a path towards becoming a decacorn, not based on valuations devoid of sentiment. It is valuations built, sorry, devoid of fundamentals. It's valuations built on the fundamentals. So they are <clears throat> some of, the companies are literally going to throw out hundreds of crores and some of them are already at that run rate. Hundreds of crores of EBITDA. That is a that is a multi five, ten billion dollar company, right? If that, that is the scale. Because of the growth, because you will get the, the, the multiples on that hundreds of crores of EBITDA or a thousand crore EBITDA will be 40, 50, 60, right? So so I think less of an issue. Obviously, we would all prefer it to be cheaper, but then on the exit also you wouldn't you won't get the great multiples that we are getting. Yeah. So do you do you agree with that, Chris? That valuations are not really stretched. See, valuations uh, at the end of the day is a reflection of uh, what somebody is willing to pay, right? This is 
happening because of uh, you know willingness to pay there are investors who are coming in who are willing to pay that kind of money and so uh, you know i think we need to as uh, avrish said you know take it with uh, you know the positive aspects of it uh, one you know you can now get uh, exits which are in the multi billion dollar range uh, second that money gets recycled i believe back into the ecosystem it's good for the ecosystem these success stories now will uh, you know encourage more and more companies more and more startups to aspire to get there and they will figure this out and they will also these founders will also start investing back into the ecosystem so i you know i wouldn't worry too much about uh, uh, valuations these are all in private markets these are all uh, investors who are savvy investors who understand uh, you know what it means to invest in the startup ecosystem if you go to public markets then i may worry about uh, you know the valuations uh, uh, you know kind of drifting away or uh being in out of touch with uh, fundamentals and things like that but in the private markets and you know, i don't worry about this and and what do the lps uh, not just on valuations uh, prashant and avnish uh, how, how do lps see uh, india uh, at at this stage and how do they see india emerging in the years to come I see. Uh, I think you started out uh, in the early part of the conversation on this uh, issue of exits, right? So there, there was uh, uh, maybe a little bit of fatigue on that front, and uh, especially the last one or two years, um, that you know, when, when will these companies actually become profitable? Yeah, they're growing, but so that has changed a bit, and I think uh, uh, we are starting to also see. Uh, a realization that vis-a-vis uh, -vis any other destination in the world, uh, the opportunity here uh, seems to be getting more and more broad-based, uh, both within India and uh, the opportunity to go global. So, so we may be, uh, uh, you know, benefiting from being the destination uh, at scale, uh, even for the LP. So then. be willing to provide this a little bit of liquidity in the next one or two years they'll be willing to double down okay. yeah so i would say lps have been incredibly patient and thanks to <coughs> flipkart exit oyo exit you know they are starting to see meaningful capital come back the remaining question is are these one offs and i would say that question is also getting answered but maybe until a year ago that question would have been are these one off exits because where is the ipo market that is the single question right mm. where are the ipos and i think those are getting answered and why leading up to that there are liquidity events that are so i would say for the first time suba in india maybe over the last 2 3 years we as vcs are holding stock by choice not not being forced to hold it so mm. there are there are companies where we could all do secondaries and there's enough liquidity but we believe they are compounding in value and, yeah. and so we still have to explain that a little bit saying you know we could sell it but we don't think it's a good idea but that's a luxury we didn't have that before mm. uh, and then with that the fact that some of these ipos will get filed uh, leading up to that 
you have more secondary options coming up uh, so i think that's still the last remaining question that is this ipo thing going to be real i think when that is done hopefully but they have been incredibly patient and a lot of them say you know we entered india too early we were 10 years too early 12 years too early but now we now finally we believe it's the next 10 12 15 years of a of a real great run so the ipo is a big milestone oh absolutely so let me uh, let me now see what uh, audience questions are out there and maybe we have time last 15 minutes to take up a few of them um i will i will read up question 1 yeah um this is about the emergence of operator angels or syndicates and how that helps big vc firms and the companies they are trying to build i think i think operator operator angels i i, I think they are probably talking about functional experts i i don't know exactly what that means but maybe i think we can talk about again do we have a well oiled machinery as i put it earlier that will help you venture capital firms build scale companies uh, there are uh, you know initiatives uh, uh, like x210x which uh, was started by um, uh, folks from uh, uh, you know pini and some of the other folks from flipkart right so where they actually go in uh you know spend a month uh with the company and really see where their scale levers are identify those levers and and just give them a playbook based on their past experiences uh how to how to scale that which uh mckinsey or uh, similar uh, consulting company would have done for a traditional com- uh, thing so you are you are starting to see this new operator support uh mechanisms coming from uh, serial entrepreneurs or uh, structures that some of these serial entrepreneurs have set up to be able to value add to companies yes that's mm-hmm. uh, and that's very welcome for uh, accelerating scale yeah avnish and like like in the us you know there are there is a so there is what uh, prashant mentioned that there are bunch of first of all you have to recognize that the op- the operators who have operated in one of these environments has only happened in the last few years right so they all kind of now they have come into money um, and so some of them the other trend i have seen is they are leading angelist syndicates and uh, you know and then so leading investments just like in the us they run vertical specific uh, i don't know the right word is mentorship sessions so for example a go to market session a sales session a global you know product session it's very very helpful it's very very helpful and i i would argue hopefully that this is the case i think indian vcs are doing a better job working alongside uh, this ecosystem so we we don't try to cut out angels we don't try we we all of us are trying to work alongside each other but i think the the ecosystem is still relatively in the earlier stages and alongside these experts so often you know vcs love ownership uh, you know how much we own in a company but uh, often we we we, are, we cut back and we say okay if you guys are really keen and it's not just us i know uh, excel everybody does it so there is actually a very robust 
uh, angel ecosystem which has developed over the last two three years that's actually a little bit of the untold story and it's very um, and it's with all these you know either founders themselves or their next layer and they generally have some money and everybody is working very collaboratively with each other yeah okay we'll take the next question uh, this is about uh, how much risk tolerance do vcs in india have i think i think we should move on i'm sure there's no difference in the risk that indian vcs take to silicon valley vcs take i really don't see why we should spend time on this let's uh, take I, I, let me let me i think i know the underlying question of that subha so i'll address it because I, I, we have heard it before i think like shan said there used to be these copycat models right so there used to be a view that indian vcs will not invest in anything which is not copycat probably not proven which is not proven and i don't think that's the case i think they are yeah. plenty of made in india for india models global product models uh, whether it's b2b enterprise like freshworks or like bunch of these and i think that 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 has been put to rest yeah okay yeah how many number of unicorns would the panel think represent a mature vc system i think someone mentioned i think avinish you mentioned that there would be 50 unicorns soon i i mentioned based on a nascom report oh yeah it was said that by 2021 end we'll have 50 unicorns uh, there you, go. you have one just, you know it's just one measure of how the uh, ecosystem is uh, growing and how much funding is coming in this one measure uh, but mm. it's a good measure to show that uh, you know we can get very high valuations in large numbers so that's a good measure to think about personally i would i would think a uh, uh, number of ipos companies that eventually get listed and stay on for a long time is would be the right measure for me that's a medium to long term number because see even in ipos you will see that uh, there is a seasonality to this if the markets are not doing well people won't mm. do ipos mm. if you just look at us you know in the last quarter there have been significant number of ipos in the tech sector right yeah. because one ipo succeeded everybody who's doing tech wanted to do an ipo so mm. there is a seasonality Uh, some cyclicality to IPOs. Uh, I think the medium to long term IPOs is a, IPOs are a good measure of how the market is accepting a particular mo- you know business model startup. How the startup ecosystem is migrating to move to IPOs. Yeah. And uh, there is one more question on again liquidity events. uh does the panel think there is sufficient depth in trade sales and how are indian conglomerates helping this so here as by far understand the question right you know mnd from large corporates large corporates having a strategy to work with startups i do not see enough of that happening in india uh, i think it's a mistake Uh, our corporates believe large corporates especially believe everything can be invented inside hmm. and uh, i think that 
needs to change. That mindset needs to change. They need to have a, a, a good relationship with the startup ecosystem. They should have a strategy to acquire these startups. It's cheaper to do R&D outside the organization. It's cheaper to acquire a successful startup, even though the valuation is high. If you look at all the best companies around the world, you know, they have a very robust ecosystem, a robust mechanism for acquiring startups. I think our corporates must do that. They are not doing enough of that. That's my perspective. Yeah, you want to add anything, Prashant, Avnish, on that? No, definitely. I mean, I would uh, definitely second Chris's view that uh, I think they are probably uh, maybe a few years behind in terms of recognizing the leverage they can get. Uh, by uh, using their uh, capital, their uh, you know the uh, you know fill in some of their adjacencies. Um, so yes, we are we have this uh, early maybe acquisitions, but they are always looking at assets which are slightly uh, for fire sale nature or uh, you know acquire hires. Maybe it's, it's a start, uh, it's, uh, um, but they need to kind of shift gears a bit. Okay, I think uh, we seem to have come to the end of the questions. So I think, so that's all uh, then uh, Prashant, Avnish and Chris, thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you guys. Thank you, Subhan, it was a pleasure. Thank you, thank you for having us. Thank you, Subhan, thank you for having. That unfortunately brings us to the end of an amazing conversation. I know you did not want that to end. I did not want that to end. These four gentlemen had amazing insights into the world of Indian venture capital and technology and where it can actually head. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Now, if you did, you want to leave us some comments, show us some love, please go ahead and do that. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button so that you can discover many more of our panel discussions, which will be released in an audio format in the coming weeks. So hang in there, everybody. We've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks. We'll hope to see you very soon. Join us every week here on the DCVC podcast. Have an amazing week and remember to continue to keep hustling.